Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you, even though I'm stepping back. That's for a reason. I don't know, maybe it's what I'm going to talk about this morning. But it is, um, <laughs> it is good to be here with you on this last Sunday of April. And it feels like, to me, that April just started. Um, and now here we are at the end. And, you know, there are some things that they just happen soon. And they happen all of a sudden. In fact, I decided recently to join this just-for-fun softball team with my work, and yesterday was our first practice. Now, I haven't thrown a ball in years, and I haven't played softball in probably over a decade. And uh, even then, I was, I was still kind of getting into it. I'm working out at third base. I'm scooping up grounders. I even flagged down some fly balls and some fly balls that were foul, and things were going great. They were like, wow, you can really play. Um, until all of a sudden, I'm, I'm going to my left for a grounder, and snap, my left calf just popped. So if you see me kind of limping along this morning, you'll know why. You know, it just happened all of a sudden. And I guess I should have seen that coming because my wife has reminded me, you're getting old. But uh, Sometimes things happen suddenly when we least expect it, and here we are right at the end of our series, Flipped. We're putting a bookend on our series, Flipped, and rather than talking about this, uh, I guess, current trend of taking houses and flipping them over for a profit, um, we're talking about the kingdom of God. And I'm going to pause right here for just a second. Do you mind if I move to the left? The reason I'm standing back is because the lighting is out. So, uh, of course, it'd probably be better if you couldn't see me, so maybe I should step forward. But um, in any event, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And that phrase is used a lot in Christian circles. It's used a lot in the church. And we've, a lot of us have heard it many, many times before. But honestly, it is one of those Christianese types of phrases. And if you're an outsider, it kind of raises more questions than it answers. But Jesus taught a lot on the kingdom of God. And not only did he use that phrase, the kingdom of God, quite a bit, but everything he taught and everything he did, he tied back to the kingdom of God. And I suppose that's natural for any of us. If we were to move into a new place or visit a new place, inevitably, what would come up in the conversation is where we came from. So we would say something like, well, back home, or we would say, you know, where I come from. And so we shouldn't find it surprising that Jesus was doing the same thing because he's talking about where he came from. He came from the kingdom of God. He came from the kingdom of heaven. So he's describing home. And at the beginning of this series, I mentioned that that's actually a good way to think of the kingdom of God. It's where we find the king. It's his home. It's God's crib, in other words. So Jesus taught so much about the kingdom of God and where he comes from that we couldn't possibly cover it all in this series. So what we've done is we've focused on the one item that's really close to home, pun intended, for all of us, and that is the people in God's kingdom. And we've summed that up into one sentence, and that is that there is something new for all of us to be a part of, and it's coming soon. 
And we discover that it's not possible for us to actually get to God on our own. We, we need something new. And instead of trying to rely on what we have and what we know and what we've done to make our way to God, we can rely on Jesus by placing our trust in him. That is the something new. He is the something new. And that's totally countercultural to what people previously believed about God. In fact, that's the same today in a lot of cases because we have to let go of our tradition and instead rely on real transformation that only comes through Jesus and his grace. Now, we also learned that something new that Jesus came to provide was actually for all of us. And that means all people. Not just for the Jews of the first century and not just for us, but for everyone. And by demonstrating his approach to people, even the people that people had cast aside before or who had disregarded, he revealed that he values and loves all people. Now, that's why he was radical in his acceptance of other people. And consequently, not only should we humble ourselves before God, but we should also humble ourselves with others, even those that we find it difficult to accept. Now, Jesus, he's shown us that although people may feel like they're exiled, they can really be adopted. They can be adopted and reconciled to God, admitted into his kingdom, and be part of his family. Then we learn that there is a mission that God has given the people in his kingdom. When he had his disciples, before they were even ready or battle-tested, so to speak, he sent them on a mission to spread this really great news. And we learn that God is counting on us also to step up to the plate. That we can't hide behind our fears or our inadequacies. And we can't wait until we're good and ready. No, when it comes to his people, he needs everyone on the field. He doesn't want spectators. He wants activators. Activators who spread the good news and the hope that he's given to us. So now we come to the end. We come to the awkward part of this series. That sentence that says that there is something new for all of us to be a part of and it's coming soon, well, you knew it was going to happen. You knew we were going to talk about that it's coming soon part. And for many of you, you've been thinking, what is Glenn going to say about this? Because we're going to answer that question, when is this all supposed to happen? Maybe you've been thinking, that this is a disturbing topic because you're thinking this is going to turn into one of those the end is near types of talks. And it's easy for us to think that when we think of it's coming soon or the kingdom is coming, we think of street corner preachers wearing the sandwich boards that say the end is near. Now, there's some of you probably who are waiting with anticipation, thinking, oh, goody, we get to talk about that stuff. That sounds interesting. It's the end of the world as we know it, as the old song goes. So either it scares us or it intrigues us. But either way, let's be honest, it really grabs our attention. And it really grabs our interest. And there's a bit of irony in that. Because ultimately, it's going to be our lack of interest and our lack of attention that comes back to bite us. For example, let me ask 
And I'm asking the question, so you can raise your hand to this. How many of you came in this morning fretting over the possibility of an asteroid careening through space on a crash course collision with Earth to destroy all life? Anybody? No? Not a single person. That's what I thought. Well, you should be. (laughs) You know, as they say, when your number is up, your number is up. And that number is 99942. That's the name, that's the astronomical name of this object that is careening toward Earth, also known as M2004 when it was first discovered. This near-Earth asteroid is bigger than the Empire State Building. And affectionately and appropriately named Apophis, after the demon snake of uh, Egyptian lore, it is uh, (laughs) careening on a crash course collision with us, Earth. Now, Apophis, you may know that if you're a sci-fi buff, as a character from the Stargate series, but I, I digress there. But the big deal with Apophis is that on April 13th, 2029, It's going to be a mere 18,600 miles away from us. Now, you're thinking, that seems like a long way away. But to put that into perspective, that's 92% closer than the moon is to us. And so scientists can't rule out the possibility of a collision. And what they're really worried about is that it's going to alter our mutual gravity so much that the next time it comes around, it's going to hit us. And that's going to happen in 2036. That's just a mere 11 years in 2029 and 18 years in 2036. That puts a whole new spin on the end is near, doesn't it? I'm not trying to scare you, honest. but um, Because I prefer a more positive spin, like, hey, keep calm. The end is near. You know, speaking of putting a mark on the wall for the end times, people have been doing that for decades. They've been doing that forever. And in fact, this may be a little known fact for some people, but there was a Baptist by the name of William Miller. He came from Vermont. And he carefully studied the scriptures, and he determined through his analysis that Jesus would return to earth in the year 1843. Now, his followers, known as the Millerites or the Adventists, they They wanted to give him one more shot when that didn't happen in 1843. And they said, for sure, he's going to come back on October 22nd, 1844. So when that didn't happen either, that movement largely kind of faded away until it merged with the Seventh-day Movement, thanks to the the prophet Ellen G. White. And hence, we have the Seventh-day Adventists. Literally dozens of people have predicted the date of Jesus' return after and even before Mr. Miller. And none of them have been right. Because there's a couple of problems with trying to put a date on the return of Jesus. The first is, and this is the important one, it's impossible. Jesus told us himself in Matthew 24, 36, no one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. 
In other words, he told those who were closest to him, hey, I don't even know when this is going to happen. But if I did, I don't even know if it's my place to tell you. And the second problem that we have in trying to put a date on this is our understanding of time. Our understanding of time is a little flawed. Now, the the Greek of the biblical times, and that's the language that the original New Testament was written in, it actually solves this problem pretty well because they have two words to describe time. They have chronos and kairos. Now, chronos is where we get the word chronology or chronological from. And that is the left brain or engineer's way of telling time. I can look at a clock and say it is now 946. It is now April 29th, 2018. We're very precise. We're numerical about describing time. Kairos, on the other hand, is the right brain or touchy-feely or affectionate way of talking about time. It's a subjective measure. It's not numerical. It's more emotional. It speaks of things like seasons or occasions or events or phases of life. You know, we say right now it's baseball season. And we say, you know, when we have an event that we're really preparing for, we're going to dress up for the occasion. It's describing a time, but it doesn't have a number attached to it. So that's the case in our text this morning. And I'm going to point that out to you as we come to it. And um, our text this morning is deliberately short. It is Mark chapter 1, verse 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, or you uh, want to turn in your chosen device to that uh, passage, we're going to be reading Mark chapter 1. And we're actually going to start in the verse before it, 14. It'll help give it a little bit more context. So Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, before we go further, I need to point out a couple of technical details about the text that we just read. You see, when Jesus says the time has come, the word there is kairos, not chronos. So as we just discussed, he's not saying, hey, The time is now 9.50, I'm here. He's saying the event that you've been waiting for has come. The next technical detail is in the words has come. Now, in most other versions of the Bible besides the New International Version, which I just read, it says the time is fulfilled. And the Greek word there is plerumai, and it means to make complete. But the interesting thing about it is it's in what they call the perfect tense. Now, that makes no sense to us because we don't have that in English. And we're not the only language that doesn't have that tense. Many other languages don't have it either. But almost every other language actually captures this better than the English does. Spanish, French, German, you name it. 
they actually have words that make this sound like it did in Greek. Because in Greek, in the perfect tense, that describes something that has completed in the past, and it's complete, but it has lasting and continuing implications for the present and the future. And that's the word that he used there. It's been completed, and it has lasting impact for the present and the future. So, if I were to try to approximate this in English, I would say that the occasion that you've all been waiting for, it's here. And it literally changes everything. Now, John Mark, when he recorded these words, John Mark, he was a close companion and understudy of Peter. He, he was capturing what Peter thought about his experiences with Jesus. This is the Peter who identified Jesus as the Messiah, the one God sent to make all right with the world. This is the Peter who Jesus said, this is the rock on whom I will build my church. So this is, this is his account of what's going on here in, in Jesus' ministry. And with Mark, it's action-packed. There's nothing in the front matter of Mark that talks about baby Jesus, nothing that talks about genealogy or who begot who. It gets right down to the point, right to the action. And here we see that. In the first 15 verses of Mark, he gets right to it. And he says, Jesus showed up and said, the time has come. It's here. And he says, attention, everybody. What you've been waiting for all this time, it's now. And speaking of this idea of immediacy, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is the book of right-aways. Because the, the term right-away or immediately shows up 41 times. That's 51% of all of its occurrences in the entire Bible. So that's intriguing to us because Mark definitely had a grasp on the concept of time. So it wasn't a mistake that he used the word kairos instead of chronos. He's saying the event, the occasion, is now here. Now what's also interesting and what we need to know is that the people that Jesus was preaching to at the time, they came from this long line of people who had all been believing in and worshiping and praying to a God who said that he would come back to earth and establish his kingdom. They were waiting for him. And they passed that on to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and so on and so forth, generation after generation, decade after decade, and century after century. And then one day, this carpenter from the other side of the tracks shows up and he says... God is here, and I am he. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know that the wait is over. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? You've been waiting for this person, and finally a human being shows up and says, Hey, God here. But he wasn't crazy, and he didn't speak in riddles. He was crystal clear. He said, the event that you've all been waiting for through all those generations, it's right here and right in front of you. So stop what you're doing, listen, and believe in me. The awesome has arrived. And we know from the rest of the story that many people did believe. And they did stop what they were doing. 
and they did place their trust in Jesus. Yet for all of those who did, many more didn't. Especially the ones who consider themselves the experts on the subject matter of God. They were so caught up in their own perceptions, their own imaginations, and their own explanations that they missed him when he was right in front of them. And the lesson that we learn is actually our big idea this morning. And that is that God's kingdom has already come. It's time to let go of the past and embrace the future in Christ. God's kingdom has already come. And it's time to let go of the past and embrace the future in Christ. So now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, Glenn. The kingdom has already come? Does that mean that we miss the boat? Well, the answer to the first part of that question is, yes, God has already come. No, you haven't missed the boat. But that's confusing because you said it's coming soon. So that means it hasn't happened yet. So it has, has it happened yet? No. Well, wait a minute. How can you have both at the same time? This is one of those mind-blowing concepts. And students of the Bible refer to this as already, not yet. Try that on for confusing. But what that means is since we're referring to God's kingdom, we're talking about a moral and spiritual kingdom. We're talking about a kingdom that's invisible and also eternal. One that's of ultimate power rather than just mere location. And after all, Jesus said in John 18.36, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, there's a spiritual nature to God's kingdom and there's a physical nature to God's kingdom. And when Jesus stepped out of the spiritual world and into our physical world, God, the king of everything, he brought his spiritual royalty on an earth roadshow. And at that moment, the spiritual kingdom came near to us, his creation. And it was established. That's the already part. That's the already part in this already, not yet. And that coming to earth also set into motion events that would guarantee that his spiritual kingdom would also transform even the physical world, our world, into his kingdom. And that is the part that is not yet. So to make that simple, the idea is that Jesus' kingdom has already begun, but it's not finished or in its final form just yet. Our everyday problem, though, that we have today is that if we're not careful, we're going to miss the already and the not yet. Now, we started this series by referring to this elite group of Jews. They were known as the Pharisees. And whether we know it or not, the Pharisees have a lot in common with faithful, regular churchgoers today. You see, they believed in God. They were great students of the Scripture. They, they kept all of God's commands. They believed in the God of the Bible with all of their heart, soul, and strength. They said the right things, they did the right things, and they hung around with the right people. And they were watching 
for God to show up. They were waiting for him. And they're still waiting for him. Because he showed up. And they missed him. Now these were the ones of their day who were out on the street corners preaching the end is near. They were out there with the sandwich boards. They were the ones holding the you better watch out because the end is coming prophecy seminars. They were the ones in the synagogues preaching that the kingdom of God cometh nigh. But they missed it. And he was right in front of them. And they missed him. Now, how do you miss something so obvious? Well, researchers have referred to this as selective attention or inattentional blindness. Now, many of us may have seen some videos on this. They have these tests that kind of bear this out. One is this famous test by Daniel Simons. He has this basketball test. And this test says that, okay, you've got some people who are wearing white shirts and people who are wearing black shirts. Now, they're going to be passing basketballs back and forth. I want you to count the number of passes that the white shirt people pass to each other. And that's really hard and distracting because with everything going on, with everybody passing, even the people in the black shirts, it's hard to keep track of. And at the end of the video, you're asked, well, did you get the right number of passes? It was 15 passes. But, and more importantly, did you notice the guy in the gorilla suit who just walked in the middle of the whole thing? So random. So weird. So unexpected. Yet strangely... Most people don't notice that the first time around because they're so focused on counting the number of passes. Now, there's another test that came out, too. It says, count the number of times that the girl strums on her electric guitar. And you're so busy looking at the 32 times that she does that, you don't notice that in the middle of her strumming, her shirt changes from yellow to purple. Like, what? I didn't see that. Things that should be so obvious to us that we should definitely notice. So conspicuous that they should jump out at us. Yet we could be so focused on our own perceptions, our own imaginations, and our own explanations that we totally miss that obvious thing. Tragically, we can even miss God when he comes near to us in our own lives. So how do we fix that problem? Well, to break down our big idea this morning, the first thing is everyone must decide who Jesus is to us. Everyone must decide who Jesus is to us. Now, when Jesus came, he said, now is the time. Repent and believe. And the best way to sum that up is to say, you've got to decide. You've got to decide. We have to decide who Jesus is. And what that means in our lives. That means we have to recognize him and notice him for who he is. He is the one that God sent. And he is the king who comes to establish God's kingdom. Now, E. Stanley Jones, he famously said of Jesus that he didn't bring the good news. He is the good news. He is the good news. He is that something new. He is that free gift of grace. And he is the one that we can count on to get us to God. Now, like the elephant or the gorilla in the room, if you will, we have to recognize him. He has come and 
plainly revealed himself to us. And a lot of times we say you have to, you have to see it to believe it. But even a truer statement would be that you have to believe it to see it. Are we so focused on our own deal that we don't see him? Are we so enthralled in our own lives that we don't care? And that brings us to another decision that we have to make, and that is that we must let go of what we've counted on and hold on to Jesus. We have to let go of what we've counted on and hold on to Jesus. Now, when we started this series, we identified that even one of the most famous teachers of the time of Jesus in Jerusalem named Nicodemus, he didn't grasp this fundamental truth about God. The truth being that it's impossible for us to get to God with, without God himself reconciling us. That we have to have, instead of our traditions, our transformation that get us to God. That we, we get that transformation through Jesus Christ. Belief in his life and his death on the cross and then his resurrection to eternal life. But what gets in the way, just as it did with Nicodemus, it's what we've earned. It's the stuff that we've accumulated, our wealth, our stuff. It's also the things that we know or that we think we know. And it's the good deeds that we've done that we think, you know, hey, that seals the deal. That makes me a good person. But Jesus comes along, he says, to repent and believe. Now, that not only means to decide who he is, but it also means that you have to let go of the past and embrace the future in him. We have to turn away from our assumptions. We have to turn away from our portfolios or our resumes and instead turn to him and trust in him. Now, if we were shipwrecked and lost at sea and our only hope of survival was clinging on to this life preserver, what would we do if the Coast Guard came up to rescue us? Wouldn't we have to let go of the life preserver and hold on to our rescuer? And, and remember, time is a factor. I mean, we can't stay out there forever because the longer we're out there, you know, if the sharks don't get us or the cold doesn't get us, dehydration or hunger will. Yet some of us can't bring ourselves to let go and allow ourselves to be rescued. And Jesus came along and he said, it's time. We need to let go and we need to let God. We need to let go of the past and jump into the grasp of our Savior and the future that he is making for us. And on this note of time, this is this last point, it's, it's time for us to be spiritually ready and spiritually active. It's time for us to be spiritually ready and spiritually active. Now, the Apostle Paul instructs us in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, we couldn't talk this morning about something coming soon and not talk about the urgency of the matter. Whether we're talking about Kronos or Kairos time, what we do know is that this, is that time is of the essence but our focus shouldn't be exclusively on the future. It should also be on the present. Because Paul's very next words to us in Ephesians were, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
And God's will is for us to be spiritually ready and spiritually active. Now, that doesn't mean that we go out and we preach on the street corners if the end is near. It means taking seriously what he has already done and what he's already commanded us to do, to let go and let God take control. But it also means that we need to focus on the already part, the right here and the right now. And for that matter, we, we probably need to stop obsessing on the idea that we are, for the first time in human history, living in the very last days, as if this was something new. Because if we obsess over the signs and the prophecies and we look to the state of the world today and we say, God must be coming back tomorrow, then we're going to miss the already and the not yet. And in point of fact, all humanity has been living in the last days ever since Jesus came, died, was resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. Now, many followers at the time of Jesus who saw him walk in the flesh, they thought he was coming right back. And history has shown that people have thought that he was definitely going to come in their lifetime. And if we look at our world today and we assume it's never been worse, well, we're, we're, we're not only insulting the generations that are coming after us, but we're, we're insulting the generations that came before us. Because even as bad as things can be in the news today, some of them pale in comparison to the, the tragedies of the past. And the point there is that God is going to come back when he is ready, not when we're ready. Now, that may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be a thousand years from now. No one knows the hour. That's what Jesus said. But that doesn't diminish the fact that he's coming soon. That's why we've got to be ready. Because when Jesus does return, no one is going to be saying, Jesus, where have you been? You were supposed to be here centuries ago. Anyone who has had a child and watched them grow up, they don't say, man, that took forever. <laughs> Maybe in toddler years you might say that, but, but when we look back on it, that's not how we feel. And no one at the end of their life says, man, this has just gone on too long. I've had way too many years to live. No, we say, that literally flew by. Where did the time go? And I guarantee that when Jesus returns, people aren't going to be saying, it's about time. You know, that took a little longer than forever, Jesus. Now, maybe there has been days when you felt that way. But when it actually happens, the gravity is going to hit us in ways we can't even imagine. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I've always imagined this to be like a wedding. You know, we've been anticipating what, what, what feels like we've been waiting for for a long time to happen. But when the day actually comes, it feels sudden. It feels soon. And after the groom seats his parents and takes his place up by the, the minister, looking out at all the guests, it really starts to sink in. And as he watches as the, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids make their way down the aisle, 
heart palpitations start. You start taking deep breaths. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, there she is, dressed in white. This is really happening. This is really happening. And in that moment, when emotion and anticipation and reality, they all come together, we don't think to ourselves, wow, that took forever. We say, this is really happening. And it will feel soon. So whether it's tomorrow or a thousand years, it's going to be soon. And we need to be both spiritually ready and spiritually active. That means that we need to focus on the already part. We need to take seriously the decision to allow Jesus to transform our lives. We need to radically accept and humble ourselves in front of others. And we need to boldly spread this really great news to the world around us. We need to let go of the past and we need to embrace the future in Jesus. And we follow Jesus in faith wherever he leads. And this is something we know. We know this, that he's not finished with us yet. Because if he was, we wouldn't be here. He's doing something great in us, and he's not finished yet. He came to start something when he already came. In his kingdom, in his people, in his church, and in each of us. And he will finish what he started the scripture reminds us in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So being spiritually ready and spiritually active means that we see God's kingdom not as far away, but as near. And we stop seeking only the desire to be comfortable in this life and instead seek to make ourselves ready. And we can only do that through renewing our minds and our, our, through our spiritual disciplines, such as praying and reading our Bibles, but we can also do that through connecting with each other as believers, getting involved in our local church. You know, God has great plans for each one of us, and he has great plans for Trinity Baptist Church. And as, even as we seek his guidance and his will on our future, we continue to march on in this mission that he has given us to make disciples. And I hope and pray that this church continues to be a source of hope and strength to all of us. But more than that, I hope that it continues to equip us for this mission of making disciples. So that rather than being untrained, we can each say that we are God's soldiers who are battle-tested. And rather than viewing God's kingdom and his purposes as uncertain, we can embrace the future resolved to follow our king wherever and whenever he leads that we look to his kingdom not as distant but as urgent and as we wrap up this series i'm going to leave you with some homework most of it is a recap and a reminder of things that we've already learned the first is that we let go of what has been holding us back what we have what we know what we have done not that we aren't continually thankful for the things that we have. Not that we're not trying to learn more and not that we are going to give up on serving God and serving people, but that those become a response to what Jesus has done rather than us trying to use it to gain favor with him. 
We need to remember that he loves us so much that he couldn't love us anymore. And the next thing is that we need keep humbling ourselves by showing kindness and mending relationships and encouraging other people. Kindness brings God's kingdom nearer. And entering God's kingdom is only through relationship. So let's make our relationships be bridges rather than walls to other people. And also, let's keep on praying and being bold and spreading this news to the world around us. How will they see if they don't believe? And how will they believe if we don't show them? And lastly, if we're resolved to be in Jesus, and if we realize that his kingdom isn't distant, but it's urgent and near, doesn't that have implications for each of us now? Perhaps that stirred something inside of you. I don't want to fill in that blank for you. Because if there's something in your mind right now, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. He's talking to you right now. He's put something on your heart. He's put something in your mind. And what I would ask is that wherever he's leading you, go. And do what he's asking you to do. Say what he's asking you to say. Take that step that he's asking you to take. And what we can do this week is we can commit to doing that this week. Commit to doing something new this week. And I'll say that something new may be the fact that you finally recognize Jesus for who he is because you haven't done business with that. And if that's you, I would be happy to talk with you afterward. You could talk to somebody else and we'd love to pray with you. But for all of us, let's commit to doing something new with Jesus, following where he leads. Let's not be so enthralled in understanding what what the end times are going to bring that we miss what he's already done. Because the time has come, and the train has left the station. Let's be on it, and let's be ready. Remember that this is urgent. It's not in the distant future. And in your journey with Jesus and the impact that he wants to have through you, His kingdom has already come. And time is of the essence. So it's time to let go of the past and embrace the future in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you are the something new. You are the great news. We thank you that you have come near and you have established your kingdom with us already. It's already beginning And we're being transformed individually and together as your people into something that is so great in your kingdom. Lord, help us not to miss what you've already done. Help us not to be so focused on the future that we miss what you've already done. And help us not to be so selectively blind that we can't see what you're doing. Help us to see what you're doing. Prompt us, Holy Spirit, even right now, to be a part of what you're doing in the world and what you're trying to do through us. Help us to respond to that and follow wherever you lead. We thank you for this, Lord Jesus. Amen.